Scripture passage today is Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Philippians 4, 1 through 9. I'm also adding a scripture. It's not written there. Habakkuk 3, 17. So it's going to be a little tougher for some of us to find. Old Testament, just go... When you get to Matthew, go left a couple of books and you'll find Habakkuk sitting there. Just three chapters right before Zephaniah. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 and then Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Reading from Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like that of the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia, Iodia, and I entreat Syntyche, To agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. We'll take a moment of silent reflection before the word of God. At this point, we'll dismiss the kindergarten and first grade. And you have your Bibles open to Philippians chapter four. That's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. We'll refer back to Habakkuk. A little bit. I want to say uh, thank you for all the encouraging emails I got this week about your effort towards solitude. It was fascinating the kind of uh, questions I got on what is solitude and what constitutes solitude. And here's my plan. Uh, a good friend of mine, right as we left, said, can I be fishing at the same time? So all kinds of questions about, you know, what is solitude and what constitutes solitude. And 
So uh, I've been encouraged really by the emails back to say, well, this is this is my plan. This is what I'm going to try to do. Here's my effort. And it's just uh, I remember uh, the opening of one of the emails um, by somebody who I think probably hasn't done a lot of solitude. Their first line was, I did it. And I just wanted to go, yes, because sitting before the Lord. Remember, we're talking about the spiritual disciplines are the the highways built by God to the ocean of himself. So we're just trying to get on these highways with the hope of meeting the transforming power of God. And so it's been a great encouragement. And if you haven't emailed me back, I've saved the emails of people who have. So I'll know if you haven't. And I'll be praying for the wrath of God to descend upon your life until you email me. Let's uh, pray together. Lord, we come now trying to to exercise a spiritual discipline that many of us probably haven't even thought about as a discipline. And that's the discipline of joy. So I'm I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you would descend in a way to help these people and myself see and savor Jesus Christ. That you are the same. You never change. And so we can have a kind of joy in our lives that never goes away, that never dries up. So help us see. Help us to be disciplined, to be a people of joy. In Jesus' name, amen. My mother was born in the 1930s, a very small town in Arkansas. When she was a young girl, her father died suddenly of a brain aneurysm. So this blood vessel exploded in his brain and he died instantly. The consequence of his death was the loss of the only income the family had. And so she and her older brother and her mom lived in very economically uh, impoverished situation. So much so that she would tell me that many times they would have to depend on food from other sources. People would just come by with bags of food and give them food because they knew that if they didn't, they wouldn't be eating that night. Well, the family sort of worked hard and worked together. And my mother eventually went to college and her senior year, she was the homecoming queen. And she was in love with the captain of the football team. And a year after he graduated, which was the next year, they got married. And they had these 10 great years. I'm sure the sixth year was the best of those years since somebody entered into that situation. But maybe not. I haven't had a chance to ask her that. But 10 years later, with. Four kids under nine years old, she had to bury her husband because of an airplane accident. A few years later, she got remarried and she had 15 years of a very stressful, both relationally and financial life until she was 53 
And she found out that she had breast cancer. And a year later, she died. Well, I just told you the, the facts about my mother's life, some of them. But I haven't told you really much about my mother. One of the enduring characteristics about her life was she had this enormous capacity for joy. I mean, you would never have known these things about the circumstances of her life because I I know you'll understand it. It was kind of a a magnetism that when you, you got around her, you just wanted to be more around her because a joy sort of welled up from deep inside that you were you were captured by. She didn't allow her circumstances to define her joy. I remember coming home and I would find a car in the driveway and I knew it was one of my high school friends. And so I'd say, oh, I guess, you know, David's here to see me. And I'd come upstairs and David would be maybe chit-chatting with my wife or, I mean, with my mom for half hour, hour. And I was like, well, you know, I wasn't here, buddy. What about me? He's like, well, I didn't come by to see you. I came by to see your mother. It, 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 they, my own friends just began to get sort of sucked in. And I don't know if you know somebody like this, but they just kind of have a, a an internal kind of disposition that you just sort of get drawn into like a magnet because you want to experience that kind of joy. You want it, You want your life to be marked by that kind of joy. And you don't want your joy to just come from your circumstances. And so that was the case for my mother. By the time the Apostle Paul had written the letter to the Philippians, he had already and on more than one occasion been whipped, beaten and stoned, dragged outside of the city and left for dead. Currently, he's writing from a Roman prison. And he really has no idea if he's going to keep living another day or his head's going to get chopped off. And yet he writes, despite all his past circumstances and despite his current situation, he writes this letter to the Philippians that's main theme is joy. Let me just read you a few verses. Philippians 1, 4. In all my prayers for you, I will I always pray with joy. 125, I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy. 118, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. 217, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and you should rejoice with me. Philippians 3.1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. In this little book of four chapters, he uses the word joy or rejoice 15 different times. Trying to help these people understand what it means to have joy. And in fact, in one of the verses we read, chapter 4, verse 4, Paul actually commands the Philippians to be joyful. Today we're examining the spiritual discipline of joy. We've read the Westminster Confession of Faith, and if it's correct, and I believe it is, man's chief end. What, what we were designed for when God 
looked at you and put you together and said, you're designed now for this. What you and I are designed for is to enjoy God. Genuine joy is not something that just happens. That's what you might call happiness. People are happy based on what's happening. But Paul is talking about something else because what's happening to the Apostle Paul is not something anybody would sign up for. But he's got a joy that's not based on his happenings. It's based on something else. And we're going to take a look at that. I think one of the reasons this particular spiritual discipline is important is because this kind of joy that Paul is exuding is one of the most attractive characteristic traits for those who don't know any other Christians. They're just sucked into a body of believers who really exude the joy of the Lord. And when somebody doesn't know the Lord, a lot of times they have this feeling like, well, the Christians, they're kind of the sour people waiting for heaven to come along. And it should be just the opposite. We should be the most excited, the most joyful people that there are. So two things I want to look at in this passage. First is the command for joy. This is written in your bulletin as an outline form. I want to look at chapter 4, verse 4, and Paul's command for joy. And then I want to look at, both this week and next, the fight for joy. I'm going to say joy is a spiritual discipline. It's something that has to be exercised. It's something that you have to work at. And so I'm going to try to answer this question. You know, how do we cultivate joy in our lives, especially when the circumstances in our lives wouldn't call for a very happy disposition. What can we be doing as Christians to cultivate a joy in our lives? So first, the command for joy. Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You notice that repetitive nature there. Whenever in the Bible it says something twice in a row, it's the way to emphasize, hey, this is something that you need to pay attention to. If you're into grammar, you see that this verb here is called an imperative. That means that it's a command. Paul isn't making a suggestion here. He's saying, I'm telling you, Philippians, rejoice. I'm commanding you to be joyful. And the reason he's commanding the people to be joyful and the reason the Philippians can be joyful is he's basing The joy, not on something that changes, but on someone that never changes. Look, it says, rejoice in the Lord. Not just rejoice. I want you to be joyful. He's giving you the emotion, but then he's saying, the reason you can have this is because it's in the Lord and the Lord never changes. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, forever. The Lord is good. His faithfulness and love endure forever. The Lord is the most joyful being in the universe. And I was explaining to a friend this week. As we sat at a restaurant for breakfast. The Lord. By his grace. 
has granted you to be a child of God forever. Now, I want to go through those just briefly for this purpose. Do you really believe this about God? The Lord never changes. The Lord is good. You believe that? The Lord's love endures forever. The Lord is the most joyful being in the universe. I think Paul must have been influenced here in Philippians 4 by Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. If you flip there for a moment. I mean, he doesn't say, Paul doesn't, isn't making a reference here, but the tie-in seems to be so close. Habakkuk is somebody who's lived through very difficult circumstances. His happen Stances would not be something that you and I would want to live through. And yet at the end of his end of this book, he finds some kind of joy that supersedes his happenings. Listen to the words and really be stunned by them. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grass, grapes on the vines. The olive crop has failed. The fields produce no food. No sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. You hear that? When everything in your life falls apart. When every source that's been feeding your soul for joy, when all of those sources completely dry up, Habakkuk has learned that there's a source that never dries up. Habakkuk learns that his joy doesn't come from his circumstances. It comes from the Lord. Continue on. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. So Habakkuk's circumstances aren't going to determine his discipline to rejoice. And he uses this word Rejoice in the Hebrew, that's not a kind of a, a simple smile and nod of your head. You know, like I'm trying to rejoice and you kind of have this forced smile or you sit quietly and you ponder and nod your head. In the Hebrew, this word means to jump up and spin around. And so I wish I was athletic enough to do that at this very moment. I might fall off the stage. But I'm wondering for you, is the joy of the Lord that kind of source of strength in your life if you're Christian? I mean, when you wake up, do you take a moment to say, yes! And that was not a 360, that was maybe about a 220, right? I mean, do you have that kind of capacity in your life? I mean, in your solitude, 
Could you come across something in the Bible that would literally, not figuratively as you have your hands folded, but literally make you stand up and spin around and say, Woohoo! Are you just tied up in a knot somehow? That's what Habakkuk is saying. Hey, listen, every stream that I have tried to get joy for from, as good as they may be, grapes or sheep or grain, they've all dried up. My career is drying up. My relationships are drying up. My money source is drying up. Anything that you've gotten your joy from, when those things dry up, can you still jump up and spin around and say, Praise the Lord! My joy isn't based on those things. My happiness may be, but my joy comes from the Lord. You have that kind of capacity? In your life? When's the last time you you jumped up, spun around for the Lord? Not for a circumstance. Well, joy is a command. It's a spiritual discipline. And so I want to try to answer, well, how do I fight for joy? I mean, when we talk about fasting, I'm, I'm fighting. I'm fighting not eating. I'm, not, I'm fighting not to think about the hamburger that I really want at that time. When I'm praying, I'm fighting to stay awake. I'm fighting to stay focused. When I'm reading my Bible, I'm fighting against the alarm clock, snooze button. So when you're, when you're trying to exercise the spiritual discipline of joy, how do you fight for joy? That you would be a person that had a greater capacity for joy in your life. And I want to look at three things, two of them today and one of them next week. First, I want to look at remembering your citizenship. And second, I want to talk about guarding your relationships and finally, and we'll get to this next week, guarding your hearts and your minds. These are three things I think are in the text about fighting for joy. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, therefore. And whenever as a Bible student you read in the Bible and you come across the word therefore, you're asking yourself this question. What is that word therefore? It's drawing some kind of conclusion. Once you see, therefore, you say, well, Paul's made some kind of statement or he's made some kind of argument and he's making this transition. He's saying, now that you know this information, therefore, you can now rejoice in the Lord always. You can rejoice. And so when we look at this word, therefore, I think it's a clue. Paul is reaching a conclusion that we can rejoice based on a certain information. And it's information that he reminds the Philippians of, and it's information that we need to be reminded of. So let's look backwards here in chapter 3, verse 20. 
Here's one of the key pieces he's reminding of us of before we get to joy. Chapter 320. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. What a what a hope for the person who's going through physical difficulties and may have to spend their lifetime fighting against physical difficulties. One of the ways you fight for joy is you remind yourself that God's going to give you a different body and it's not going to be like the body that you have now. He will transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. All things are underneath his power and his control. And we're trying to answer this question. How is it we fight for joy? And I want to focus in our attention here on verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower, your citizenship, listen, your citizenship is not here in this world. You really are as this transformed creature This new creation in Christ. You now have a different citizenship. You have a different allegiance. You're now a citizen in heaven. And so you're not here to stay. You're on your way home. Now think about how just acknowledging that every morning. As you got up and you said, you know what? I'm not a citizen here. I'm really just a pilgrim. I'm on my way home. The stuff that's happening here isn't going to be happening forever. I'm having to live through this situation. I'm having to deal with this situation. But really, I'm a citizen in another country and I'm on my way to that country. You see how that would begin to lift your head beyond the circumstances of this situation and say, look, I'm a citizen of a heavenly home. And I'm going to have a different set of circumstances. And I'm going to have a different body. When you go to Haiti, and many of us have been there, supporting the church and Charles down there, who will be here next week, by the way, so you're going to want to be here and hear Charles. He'll talk about Haiti in the Sunday school class and then preach for us next week. When you go to Haiti, you live in... Uh, challenging circumstances. Let's say that. It's hot and you don't have any air conditioning. You're not very far from voodoo when you're in Haiti. In fact, when you're at the church, just down the road, sort of like a neighbor, there's this big stone house that's the voodoo priestess house. And you hear all kinds of strange noises at night and you're wondering... Are they coming from that area or what's happening down there? And the reason Charles chose to plant that church in that particular place is because when he went around to the surrounding location, he just saw in every home voodoo paraphernalia. So when you go to Haiti, you realize you're just not that far from real evil. 
You could say that Haiti doesn't receive a real high sanitation grade, especially when it comes to their food processing. When you work in Haiti, it's rather frustrating because you, you just keep thinking of all the things that you could do, but you're sort of handicapped by the situation you're in. If, if you just had this one more piece of equipment, whether it was building something or a medical piece, you just go, gosh, it's so frustrating. We can get so much further and so much faster, but we just don't have what we have in America. And so I thought about this and thought, what's, what's one of the main reasons 20 people from Christ Community Church can go down there and live really with great joy? What would you say? How is it that we could go down to Haiti and live in this situation really with, I thought, great joy? Don't don't think of a spiritual answer. You know what the answer is? One of the main answers? Your passport. One of the main reasons you can go down to Haiti and live there for a week is because you're coming home. You're going to come back to the United States of America. I'm only there for a short period of time. And so when I get back into the Miami airport and I begin to walk up the ramp and it says, U.S. citizens this way, I want to kiss the placard. Because I'm going to hand my passport to the person and it says this. The Secretary of State of the United States of America hereby requests all whom it may concern to permit the citizen of the United States named herein to pass without delay or hindrance. And in the case of emergency, give all lawful aid and protection. I can tell you, if you go down to Haiti without one of these, your attitude is going to be a lot different. But you see, when you live in a country, as dark as it may be, as uncomfortable as it may be, if your citizenship really is in another location, then you can live with a much greater capacity for joy. Because the situations that are happening right here, you know they're not going to last forever. I'm not really a citizen here. I'm doing my best in this situation with the circumstances that I've either made for myself or have been dealt. But I'm on my way. I've trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And when I get to heaven without delay or hindrance, I'm going to be ushered in to the face of God Almighty. That is joy. That's a kind of joy that this world is never going to be able to create for you or for me. One of the effects of this in Haiti was um, I just didn't care about my stuff as much. I tried to think of a better word than stuff because I thought, you know, It's not a good word from the pulpit, but I just that's all I could say. Just my stuff, the stuff that I brought. That one of the effects of knowing I was going to go back home 
was that just the stuff that I had lost a lot of its importance. You know why? All of the stuff I brought, guess where it was going to stay? In Haiti. I wasn't taking any of my stuff back to the United States. I was going to leave it all here in Haiti. And so I wasn't so consumed by my stuff. My stuff wasn't robbing any joy from me in this life because it really wasn't mine. I wasn't going to take it to the next place. Do you realize that about you and your stuff? You are going to leave all of your stuff behind. All of it. And I can tell you from having done it recently, when you die and pass away, somebody, some people that you know and some people you don't know, are going to quickly go through your stuff like a garage sale. And like that, your stuff is dispersed and gone and it's somebody else's stuff. And in all likelihood, they don't care about it near as much as you did. People who are over-concerned for their stuff, joy gets choked out of that person. You know it. Because you've met people who are very generous with their stuff. I'm not saying they're not good managers of it, but they're just very generous. And then you've been around people not so generous. They got a lot of value in that stuff, and they just can't let anybody have it or hold it. It's become much more important than it should. And when that happens, joy starts getting choked out. So one of the main ways you and I can fight for joy is to truly realize we're just not citizens here. I'm on my way to the place I'm going to stay. And therefore, my stuff here isn't choking out my joy. Because I'm just going to leave it all behind and it's not going to be worth anything in heaven. I saw this special last night with Zachary about Fort Knox. And how many bars of gold they had in Fort Knox and then how many millions or billions of dollars were in Fort Knox. And they're all these little bricks. They're all the same size and they're all organized very well. They got the numbers on it and they look like little bricks. They're, that's what they look like. And I just kept thinking and I said, Zachary, you know what those are going to use, be used for in heaven? Pavement. The streets are going to be of gold. Not literally, it's just saying the stuff that you value here, it's like pavement in heaven. It doesn't have any value. You don't pay attention to it. And so I'm wondering for you, is there anyone here whose stuff is choking the joy out of their life? Because they have too much, too, too big of a grip, too tight of a grip on their stuff. Because they really think my citizenship is down here, so I gotta keep building my treasure. Where's your citizenship? Is it in heaven? Do you live like it's in heaven? 
Or do you say it's in heaven, but you live a different way? Secondly, and finally, we have to guard our relationships. A fight for joy requires guarding our relationships. Verse 2 and 3, two prominent Christian women. You see in verse 3, their names are written in the book of life, so they've, they're the real deal. They have labored, it says, by Paul, side by side, by his side, and together. They've been together for the gospel. But something has happened. There's been some kind of disagreement between them, and the text just doesn't say what it is. I'm making the assumption it's not a doctrinal issue. It's not about the gospel, because I think if they had differed over the gospel in some way, Paul certainly would have come in and said, no, this is the right way to think about the gospel. But some other disagreement has come up between these two prominent Christian women, and it's beginning to sort of eclipse the gospel. They can't stay together on the gospel anymore because they've made some secondary issue a primary issue. And Paul must have meant to bring these two women's names up in this letter specifically because it must have been choking out the joy they had together in the church. But my guess is that it was having sort of a, a cascading effect on the congregation. So he gets the, he says, some of you other people come in and try to manage this thing because we don't want this bad relationship begin to choke out the gospel and the joy in your church. Now, imagine, if you will, with me, two women together for the gospel, allowing a secondary matter to become more important than the gospel. Stretch your imagination with me just for a moment. Two prominent Christian women who are together for the gospel, but somehow a secondary issue has come in, and now somehow they can't find agreement. And it's beginning to choke their relationship, and it's beginning to spill over into the life of the congregation. Is it homeschool versus private school versus public school? Is it whether you vote Democrat or Republican? Is it whether you like the contemporary songs or the hymns? When we build a building, is it the color of the carpet? Design of the church pews, color in the walls. I'm not suggesting these things are unimportant. What I'm saying is when they begin to eclipse the gospel and two people who otherwise can be together for the gospel allow a secondary issue to become the primary issue. So now, all of a sudden, we all have to be like this in order for us to be together for the gospel. Not true. You know these things come in our door. 
I know it. I feel it myself. I want my personal opinion to be known and valued. And so quickly I can elevate that above the gospel. Joy gets choked out in a relationship like that. And very quickly it begins to cascade over the congregation. And joy can get choked out of the congregation because they're losing the gospel for a secondary issue. Paul gives some advice in Philippians chapter 2 for people who find themselves in this situation. You'll be familiar with the verse. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you, you look not out not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be that of Jesus Christ. So since this particular instance has to do with two women, let me ask the women here. You guarding your relationships with one another? You got to be on guard. You might make a secondary issue a primary issue. And suddenly people that you could have walked along together with the gospel, now you can't walk along because you're not together on a secondary issue. Is that happening to anyone here? Anybody need to revisit Philippians chapter 2? Male or female. I'm just going to mention this now. and We'll talk about it uh, next week. Guarding your hearts and minds. I started writing what I wanted to say here and I thought it's just too, too much information. You know, good information, too much of it still, that's not good. So what I've given you here today is great information and I want you to process it. And next time we'll talk about what does it mean to fight for joy by guarding our hearts and minds. Today we've looked at that's a real command for joy. You are responsible for taking control of your own joy. It's not something that happens randomly. And at least two ways we can fight for joy. One of them was we, we remember where our citizenship is. One of them is we guard our relationships. I was listening to a pastor speak and he was talking about interviewing people to become elders of the church. And some guy's name got mentioned. I don't even think they mentioned the guy's name, but let's just say it was Bob. Bob's name came up and the pastor of the church said, no, I don't think Bob's qualified to be an elder. And the other people I guess that were elders were saying, well, why not? Bob appears to qualify in a lot of other ways, but you seem to feel strongly that he doesn't. And the pastor said this, Bob has not taken enough responsibility for his own joy. Have you? Are you taking responsibility For your own joy. Do you understand where your citizenship is? Is it possible that even when your circumstances 
aren't very happy, you can jump up and turn around. Because your joy is in the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's pray together. Lord, there's a lot of information here to try to wrestle with. And different pieces have lodged in the hearts and minds and lives of these people. And we live in sort of a a world that wants happiness, but it just always seems to be based on happenings. And so I admit even my own thinking is quickly clouded here. How to have joy. What what is that? How would I discipline myself to fight for joy like I would for other disciplines? So I'm praying now and this week as we talk together by phone or email or people talk together at lunch, they would begin to wrestle with, are they taking responsibility for their own joy? Is there anything that's choking out the joy in their lives that they need to wrestle with? Come, Holy Spirit, come and help us, we pray in Jesus name. Amen.